And during those eight years, it made me realize that between zero and a billion, there are many other companies that create really great lives mm -hmm. for many, many people, and they never get talked about. And to want that is okay. Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Today, my guest is Melissa Kwan, the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar, a tool that automates the tedious task of giving the same webinar over and over and over again, unlocking your free time for whatever you choose. And for Melissa, that was becoming a digital nomad and traveling the world. On today's episode, we talk about Melissa's experience becoming a digital nomad and what it was like building this company entirely remotely and what it taught her about life and work. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to chat with you today because uh, so after looking at sort of your life and reading about your story, I was both very excited and also like I had anxiety on your behalf because there's so much travel and logistics involved in being a digital nomad. Like, it sounds like this thing that's very romantic on the surface. Like, when I think about it, I'm like, oh, it'd be so nice to go spend this time wherever. But then I actually think through, okay, what are the details involved in that? Like, where am I getting my banking info? Where are is the government sending me stuff? How am I doing my taxes? Like, where, you know, living out of a suitcase, I was asking you about. So, like, I'm excited to dig into all of that. But for context, let's start at the beginning. When did you first become a, a digital nomad? Well, actually, my Time Hop app told me yesterday that it was four years ago. So oh. four years ago, Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. I had my last Thanksgiving in New York with a bunch of friends. Okay. And after that, we took off. Um, and this we is went, you and your partner? Yeah, we went to Chile. That was our first country. Did you have kids? I know you have kids now, right? You're, I do not. You do not? I don't know why I thought you had kids. <laughs> Um, okay, so that makes it elite. That's one thing oh, off the wait. Yeah, so don't have kids. <laughs> you want to do the yeah. digital nomad thing, don't have kids. Okay, you hopped it. Was that planned or was that, and you had scheduled like, okay, we know we're going to do this. Like how long in advance of that running off to Chile did you, did you know it was going to happen? Wait, we are recording, right? Yes, okay. we are. So to back up just one step. You can't tell like, from my podcast voice. <laughs> well, it just sounds so amazing, podcast and not podcast. Yeah, exactly. I should make it more of like a newscaster, professional kind of thing. I think you have a career in that. Um, actually, to back up like one step, I had a co-living space in New York. Okay. So when I moved here from Vancouver, I started this co-living space in Gramercy called Gramercy House. Oh, interesting. That was also featured in the New York Times. And I ran that for about three years. And frankly, like as a manager of a five bedroom house <laughs> with a lot of different people coming in every few months, like it, it felt kind of like a halfway house for people moving to New York. Yeah. Well, was that the purpose of it? Like, It, what it was, was the... actually. It was it was like a few entrepreneurs came together, started this house. Um, the idea was to live and work um, out of this space where we could also host events like our dining okay. table fit 16 people. Like oh, where nice. in Manhattan can you find that? True. Like it's a two level, you know, five bedroom house. That's 3000 square feet. This is very uh, Silicon Valley. Was there like an equity thing for anyone who lived there? You got like a piece of their company? We didn't do that, but we tried to make it more of an official business that never really worked out. But you know, it, it was almost kind of like a startup, a startup of its own. But after running that for three years, like I was quite tired of just managing different personalities. And just property in Manhattan, like in New York, can't well, have been easy. No, and, and also like 
people don't realize how expensive New York real estate is. Like, you know, it, like you hear about it, but like that house, you know, including utilities and whatnot was like 12,000 US dollars a month in rent. So for any Canadians listening, that's $86 million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we were all like paying out of our nose to just live in the space, but it was, it gave us so much in terms of like social life and being able to have people over. It was the first time I had a space that I could host people, mm-hmm. um, not just for my personal life, but also for my business life, right? right? We had the CEO of Zillow over for dinner and then I ended up like inviting a lot of people from real estate tech, which was a industry I was in before. Mm-hmm. So after three years of that, like I really was tired of, of running that house, but also running my previous business. Right. and. You know, my previous business was starting to break even. It was like I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And what was that that business that was in real estate? Yeah, it was a real estate tech company, Enterprise SaaS. So we were, you know, an open house check-in solution. So very similar to like when you walk into an office, you like check in on an iPad. Yeah. We were the open house solution for that, but we sold to the enterprise. Okay. So like for like brokerages. So you were judging our really classy like fever and (laughs) um, temperature check and Google form right at the front. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so we were, yeah, we were basically that, but like, you know, with enterprise data and all that stuff, right? But I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. We were not venture back, so that was important. Mm-hmm. And after like almost eight years of paying other people's bills and just having a really hard time enjoying myself, mm-hmm. um, I was starting to see that point where I could start to breathe again. Right. And I started to ask myself, you know, what is it that would make me happy? So one of those things I came up with was if running a startup was going to be hard, I want to be able to do it anywhere in the world. Right. And at that point, we were, by we, I mean, my, my partner and I were traveling. Were you also business partners as well as like? We were not. But the fun fact is I actually met him in that house. So he was like okay. the first guy that sublet at my roommate's room. Okay. That works <laughs> so, out. That's good. Yeah. So that's actually good. I hear it's yeah. hard to meet people here. So that yeah. is a good strategy yeah, to start a out, co-living space. Yeah. It, it turns out something future. like Airbnb is a great dating app. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably want to go from zero to a hundred pretty quickly, yeah. but you know. Yeah. Well, you don't have money to take Ubers. You just like find who's living next find door. Who's within walking <laughs> find, distance. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. We are business partners now, but we weren't before. Hmm. And so we were traveling but also paying rent at this ridiculously expensive house. Right. So one day I just kind of pitched him. I said, hey, what if we didn't pay rent? What if we just took all the money that we're paying for rent and travel and just travel full time? So I had back then already looked at Airbnb to see like all these different countries where we could stay and Mm -hmm. how much their rent would be per month and and just dreamt this life. And like, you know, we could explore Argentina and go to Vietnam and all these places. It's like $100 a month for like a beautiful Airbnb. Yeah. And so I asked him and like he was like, oh, yeah, like I've always wanted to do that. And so we kind of planned our exit Mm -hmm. um, from that house, had someone else take over. And four years ago, Thanksgiving was, you know, when we just packed up everything and and left and and obviously it wasn't so simple as like let's fit everything in a suitcase but the world today is actually very tailored to that kind of living if you're intentional about it so I think make space at the time was starting to become a thing and also moving is a really great way to get rid of a lot of your stuff true yeah you must have done like a major Marie Kondo like yeah I've I've moved a few times and um the last move from Vancouver to New York I moved from like a one-bedroom apartment that I lived in for seven years Mm -hmm. to just one bedroom in that house in in New York so I threw away 
so much stuff, all my furniture. I really didn't own anything outside of like a hard drive and some important documents. And so that was kind of easy, but you still have like your seasons of clothes, right? Like, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? And yeah, we, you need a winter coat. We only travel on a hand carry. That was that was also the rule. Like, you don't check any baggage ever. I hate checking in baggage. Oh my god! Because it really limits like the time it takes to sure. like you have to go to the airport a it lot adds earlier, an hour at least. and then it adds time to like get off the plane, go wait for your luggage, and mm -hmm. then like I have a fear of losing my luggage. Yep. So we basically just said, okay, hand carry only. So okay. then you have to think about like, how do you pack intelligently? Yeah. You have to be okay with knowing that, you know, whatever you need, you can buy, but where do you store your like different seasons of clothes? Right. So we had like a make space, but we wanted to keep it on the lowest plan, which was like hundred bucks a month or something. So we just packed like different seasons of clothes and, and certain things that like we wanted, like our Sona speaker, like our Nespresso machine. There was room for your Nespresso machine and your carry-on. No, in the make space Oh, in the box. make space. I was like, okay, you're, yeah. you can't use up a third yeah. of your carry-on. <laughs> we don't like Nespresso that much. I'm, we do love I, it though. I'm sure they'd be thrilled. But yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, we basically just did that for with make space, but with the intention that we would come back to New York regularly. Right, this and would still be your hub. You just wouldn't have an apartment here. Yeah, exactly. And we like nobody has space for you to keep boxes in the no. city <laughs> right so we just did that and um and then we took off and so it was straight to chile how long were you there for i think we were in chile and argentina um in total for like two months nice did yeah. you speak the language is it portuguese no, or spanish um, there spanish spanish so right. it's, it's like a different dialect of spanish um but he is half spanish so he okay. already speaks like the language and he can like interpret different vocabulary and things like that so so that helps uh, i always want to learn it but never really get the chance when you have mm -hmm. someone who speaks it fluently you True. don't you actually have to learn it um and where did you go after that we went to vietnam okay so it was interesting right because it wasn't like it, nothing was really planned like it, it's amazing like how little of your life you need to plan what was really fun was just looking on Airbnb and seeing like, what about this country? What about this country? And when we were leaving Argentina, I was like, well, where have you always wanted to go? And he's like, I want, always wanted to see Halong Bay. For people who don't know, it's they've probably seen a photo. It's like a like it's like a bay in Vietnam where there's all these like boulders like sticking out. Mm -hmm. I think like 007 was filmed there. I was gonna say that tomorrow never dies. I'm like <laughs> yeah. I, they, I think that takes place in Halong Bay. Yeah, and we'd never been to Vietnam. And and what's interesting about traveling is like you have all these ideas of what a country would be, mm -hmm. right? Like before going to Chile, I'm like, oh well, it feels like I thought it was more like third world, for no reason at all. I just picture Evita. The musical, like for Argentina, <laughs> yeah. like, and I'm sure it's not that, but that's all. My only reference is like, pretty much that. But that's the thing, you, like, you have no reference. Like, it's not like you you will go and, and look it up for no reason at all. But like, once you land, you realize it's it's just a different world. Like, actually, in Chile, there's like in Santiago, there's a huge like nomad hub, because of how cheap it is and the weather's super nice. And, and it's by the ocean. Yeah, and the food is good, and they have like they have like every landscape in the country. It's like pretty amazing. Everyone speaks English. So we just had a great time. So then after that, we went to Vietnam and explored that for a bit. It's amazing. And this whole time, were you working? Were you also running your company? Yeah, so back then he was a, like a CTO consultant. Um, I was always working remote. So for as long as I remember, my, I quit my last job 10 years ago and I was always remote. I think we had an office for a little bit in Vancouver, mm -hmm. but it was always like optional to go right. there. It was more like a social space. So You're I've- like ahead of the COVID game. I have always enjoyed um, sleeping really late and okay. waking up 
also really late. Like going to sleep really late? Yeah. Like okay, I just so I just work like, in um... a different time zone. Even now, like I get up pretty late. I don't really like roll out of bed till like 11, 1130, mm -hmm. like because I feel like it. And you can. Yeah. <laughs> and I choose my own hours. I love that. But like when you're running a company and you're the CEO, like it's not a great look. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's all subjective. It is, but most people are not like that. It was beneficial to, to work remote. If you pick the right time zone, then your your 11.30 wake up is really like a 6.30 wake up and people think you're, you just have to lie about where you are. I mean, I do really love now spending a lot more time in Europe mm -hmm. and, you know, we're six hours ahead of Eastern time. Right. So to people, like to most of our customers, it feels like I'm always working. Perfect. But I'm still getting up super late. I get to run some errands nice. before I like really get into my computer around like 2 p.m., which I just I just love that. Like I've always believed that people are most productive when they get to choose where and when they wake up in the morning. 100%. That's just the way that I've led my life. And, and I think a lot of people like for a lot of people, that's a romantic idea. Right. Um, we've interviewed a lot of people in the past. They're like, oh, yeah, I would love that. Like, I'm definitely self-motivated. But actually, some people aren't. Yeah. And you figure that out pretty quickly, like in, in probably the first month that they join your team. You're like, OK, this person definitely takes advantage of like leaving at 430 or 5 because we're in Canada. People get right. off at 430. But um, they also take um, advantage of like coming in late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? you know, coming in late leave on nice yeah. days, especially if the sun is out in Vancouver, oh, yeah. no one's in the office past. Like, yeah, Friday is always optional. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's the West Coast lifestyle. Yeah, that's actually a big reason why I moved to New York. You like the hustle? It's not that I like the hustle. I think it's required for, for what I do. Um, but in the West Coast, particularly Vancouver, I think it's different like when you're in, in the US, um, but Canada's like a little bit more relaxed. It's really hard to build a company and be motivated when not many people around you are. Yeah. So that's when I started traveling to New York. I was also in real estate tech, so it made sense. This is the real estate capital of the world. Mm -hmm. It's the only city in the world where people, like regular people on the street, care about real estate gossip. Like the real deal, like is a real estate gossip magazine. I mean, if you're if people are spending four thousand dollars US on a studio, <laughs> then any, everyone's yeah. gonna care about it. Like but they just like they read about the brokers here. There's like a show right. about like Multiple Ryan shows. Yeah, There's and like, like my first roommate in, in New York, which was just uh, a few blocks uh, away here in Chelsea, he loved looking at floor plans. <laughs> like he actually went, he would go. I kind of get that. I kind of get that. Yeah, he would purposely go and like look at, like collect floor plans and like yeah. study them. He was he was not in real estate. He was like a hedge fund manager or something like that. I mean, yeah. an interior designer at heart. Yeah, I mean, I just started coming here to be around people that I felt like I was more like mentally. It was a hard move because I really grew up in Canada. Yeah. Um, my friends were there, like. But socially, I think we were moving farther and farther away from each other because they had made like different choices. Like a lot of my friends, I mean, I moved here when I was 31. So a lot of people in Canada had like gotten married, had their first kid, was like buying the first house. I was still struggling to pay rent. Right. And like needing to figure out how to pay, you know, the next payroll. Yeah. So we weren't connecting on, on those things. Yeah. Makes um, sense. But it was hard to leave a community that I had been with for 10 years. But every time I came to a new city, like something like New York, I would go to these startup events, talk to people, and even though I didn't know them at all, it made me feel closer to home. So I actually came to New York with like no money, like zero. Um, and it ended up to be one of the best decisions that I've, that I've made. 
I um, love that. But that's you know why I came here. It's a very very similar story to my to my own. I think like it's the culture here and the people here and. It's not about it just being a hustle. It's just sort of a vibe to it. I remember, like, I think I was even pre-sold when one of the things that sold me on Catalyst was that in my conversations with Kevin, our co-founder, I think I'd come up with a plan for some event or whatever that I wanted to run. And his first question to me was, and so I'm, you know, coming from Canadian tech where it's very, it's great where they're like, that's great. Can you do it for like half the budget? Or like, we have $7. Can you <laughs> do like grow our following by 8,000%? And you're like, sure, I'll figure it out. Um, so that's what I was used to. And then I came here and then Kevin's like first question to me was, if we gave you double the budget, like what could you do with it? And I was that's like, cool. I've never been asked that before, but here's like <laughs> a million ideas. And then they like, we followed through on it, which is the amazing thing, right? It's like people here are very much like wanting to be a vision. They're willing to take risk in Canada. We don't like risk. And yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the same things now. I'm in my late twenties, but I'm so I'm seeing all my friends starting to get married I'm like really you're having a child like you should not have a child but um yeah very different stage it's like spending all our money moving a city figuring out how to get insurance and figuring out what's going on with our life and it's just uh, I, I get the shift being difficult for sure well the thing is in, in Canada people talk about innovation right they talk like they talk about wanting to take risks wanting to be the first mover especially businesses right but there just aren't that many players out there like let's talk about vendors right like back then I was like selling a real estate software. Right. Say there's like 10 real estate companies that could potentially buy from me. And in New York, say there's 100. Right. So when you're in a community of 10, no one really has to take a risk because we were putting out a product that didn't exist. Right. I had a developer tell me this. Like if we were the first one to do this and it doesn't work, then we're gonna lose the next project. But we've got this budget, all the money has been distributed so you have your budget has to come from somewhere else. So in order for us to take the risk, someone else has to do it first. What I realized at that moment was people talk about innovation because I don't know they want to sound smarter. Maybe they that's what they're supposed to it's a say. Fun word. Yeah, maybe that's what they're supposed to say. But in New York, like you've got a hundred companies, mm -hmm. and they have to be innovative in order to be different and yeah, special in order to survive. Yeah, not just for you know, their customers, but also to keep talent, mm -hmm. right? Nobody wants to stay in the same company that's boring, right? People sure. want to stay with a cool company that takes risks, right? And that's actually why I started coming more often, like before I before I moved here, um, but definitely since that, like it was just so hard to make a sale. Yeah. Like for we, I, I ran my previous company for five years. I think 98% of our revenue came from the US. Oh, wow. And it's not because we didn't try. It just no, it's, didn't it's the happen. I, yeah. And I don't even think that's your industry. I think that's that's most tech companies I know in Toronto as well. Like it's most of their business, despite their best efforts, like all of them want to be in Canadian, want Canadian tech to succeed. Yeah. But by the way that the culture is and the way that the funding is and the way that all the stuff is, it, they end up turning to the U.S. market because that's what fuels their growth because it's competitive and it, you have to be innovative to survive. So it's very different. But the spending mentality is different. Yes. It's completely different, right? Like, I mean, you make a joke about, you know, you were given a $7 budget, but actually, like, I've been in situations where people just wanted to barter. Like, not right. even currency, just like lunch <laughs> or like a, like a coupon, right? Yes. Or, or like something like some like barter services. But, you know, like that doesn't work. 
You know, that doesn't pay the yeah. rent, right? Like, it's interesting because I think the U.S. has such a consumer mindset. Mm-hmm. And my friend told me about this really slight difference when I moved to Amsterdam. So once we were there for a party and I was like, I wonder how much it costs to live here. And I pulled up like Funda, which is the Zillow of Amsterdam. Okay. And we love this one area called the Pipe. And I pulled up like that app and I was just looking at listings around the area. And I couldn't believe my eyes. Like I could not believe like how cheap it was compared to like any major city. Right. You right. compare like London, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, like they're all unaffordable. Right. But I was looking at this like this is a world class city. People are happy, mm-hmm. like it's clean, like super high quality of life. And like we in that area that I talked about, it's like it's like Washington Square Park. Nice. It's like Greenwich Village. Yeah. Um, it was probably like a quarter of the price than New York. Oh. So we started looking and my partner's European, so um, it was easy to, to buy property there, but we like really looked at it for a long time. But we ended up kind of getting a bit sick of traveling because um, your first point, like one side of it, it's like super fun. Like right. absolutely, you meet so many interesting people, you experience so many cool things, food, art, culture, parties, like whatever yeah. you want, but you never have your own space. Right. So you know that feeling when you like, returned from a long trip and yeah. you're just like I'm home yeah you have that like exhale yeah and, and yeah. you like fall on your bed and you're like this is my setup <laughs> yeah we never had that for right. like two two and a half years right so we were kind of craving that and we didn't have like a place to really store our stuff right we had I had like some stuff in my office in Vancouver he had some stuff in Paris with his ex-wife and then we had like some boxes in New York and then we had our <laughs> hand tra- do you have an app I'm surprised you didn't make like a an app to track all this. Like this is you I went pr- a different route with your company, but I probably would have done that out of passion if I had sold my previous company for retirement level money, but Fair I enough. didn't. Yeah, yeah. I did sell that company, but not for retirement level cash. Hey, any profit <laughs> above you know, anything yeah, above true. zero is yeah. is a net win for sure. That's true, yeah. And it led to your next company, which I'm definitely excited to chat about as well. So in Amsterdam, actually what what the point I was getting to oh, yeah, is I have an American friend there and yes. he was like, you know, the US has like such consumer culture you know you can tell by going to the grocery store where just look for a ziploc bag right like Mm -hmm. if you go to any store in america there's like 10 choices right right and if you 30 choices of oranges yeah like if you go to a store in amsterdam like the the culture in holland and it's basic right it's like this is enough Right. There's no glamour. Like, people don't show off. People don't have weddings. Like, getting married is not really a thing there. Oh, I love that. But they don't throw weddings. And it, even if they do, it's a ceremony. There's no dinner because people don't want to show off. Like, they, they see right. that as showing off your wealth, which is really different than this culture. Right. So you go, and, and I did that exercise. And there was, like, one grocery store brand, like, no-name brand made Ziploc bag. Mm-hmm. And the quality was really bad. Okay. Like, you actually can't even get like a thick one interesting so now when i come back i actually buy yeah, Ziploc Ziploc bags, bags are back. awesome yeah and they're amazing to travel with mm-hmm. like i always travel with a stack of like different sizes because you never know like yeah, you never th- know. that is actually one of the best um little like tools that you can travel with interesting but i think that consumer culture in the u.s bleeds into every area of our lives personal and business and luckily nowadays with the technology that we have, you can do business anywhere. 
Yeah. Right. You can get customers anywhere. And people care a lot less now. Like in my previous company, I didn't really get U.S. business. Like people take me seriously until I put a U.S. address on my website. But now, like we basically on our footer on our website now, like we put, um, you know, Vancouver where we're incorporated. Mm -hmm. But we just put like we have team members in all these countries. Right. Everyone's remote. So that gives and, the legitimacy. And people just don't seem to care anymore, which is actually yeah. really nice to, to see. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out catalyst.io to learn more. So speaking of your current company, as I understand it, you sort of, you pivoted your last one, you, you, well, you sold your last one, but then you started this one sort of to power your ability to continue to travel and have this freedom. So what were the circumstances through which it came about? So my current company um, is called eWebinar. Mm -hmm. it's, it's spelled exactly as it sounds. We totally left out. Which we need for startups. <laughs> like stop yeah. using, stop inventing words, putting capitals in the middle, just... I mean, it's the .com thing, right? Like, if you can't get the .com domain, like, it, it's really limiting. Are you at .com? I am a .com. eWebinar.com. You know, we totally lucked out on that. When did you? What year did you get that? Um, this is also a really interesting story. Which one should I tell first? <laughs> you hack into like Namecheap or something? To, no, like, how did you get this? no, but this is actually okay. Well, I'll tell the origin story first and how okay. I came up with the name because Excellent. that like we totally lucked out and it's it's really interesting. Um, so in my previous company, we were fairly small. We had a small team. I never raised venture capital by choice, but also because it just wasn't really a product that had that like billion dollar potential. Like I, I right. knew that. Then why even start it? You know, that's an interesting question. I'm being sarcastic. I, I'm so fried with this idea of like, <laughs> if it's not a billion dollar company, don't bother. It's the biggest. It's interesting that you said that because I did think it had that potential. Mm-hmm but not because I really believed in it. It was because I felt like I needed to. Interesting. So when you are surrounded by TechCrunch, <laughs> Mashable, which is not around, I guess, anymore. I'm not sure if it's around. I guess they got bought. Beta kit. But you realize like when your entire community that you surround yourself around is talking about building these unicorns yeah. and like how you should do it, otherwise you're not successful, you're not gonna be successful enough or you're not ambitious enough. Right. Right? Like then you start to believe that. And that's unhealthy. I actually started because I think I talked myself into believing it could be that, because I didn't feel good enough if I wasn't telling that story. I wouldn't be one of them. But that was also what contributed to me being so miserable and not really knowing why. Like I'm, I'm new. Like this, that, like that was my first company, my first right. real company. You know, I had a pre, I had a company before that. So like I had a company for three years and then it bridged into my previous company. So it, while I had my company last, um, my last company for five years, it felt like an eight-year journey. Mm -hmm. And during those eight years, it made me realize that between zero and a billion, 
there are many other companies that create really great lives mm -hmm. for many, many people, mm -hmm. and they never get talked about. Right. And to want that is okay. 100%. But it took so much work, <laughs> like yeah. just like internal work and courage, I think, mm -hmm. to say that and be okay with it like strengthen your community and just be like, you know what? Like, I don't want what you want. Yeah. Um, but in my previous company, we had a small team um, and we sold enterprise SaaS, right? Which means you sell, you sell a product to a company. That's the first day of the beginning of your life with them. Yeah. It is not the last, like a salesperson would think that's the last, but I was a salesperson and the marketing person right. and, you know, accountant and also customer success. Right. trainer like I was every everything except for code I was doing right after I sold into a company you see you have a thousand person company how are they going to adopt your product what are you gonna do right so mm -hmm. the only way to train a thousand person company or you know 100 person whatever it might be is to run a webinar right the first few customers it was like yeah great like I finally had a product that someone would pay for it took me three years to get there right and then you realize very quickly I don't have the resource to get them to use the product. Right, to implement it. So they would continue to pay me the subscription that I just sold them. Right, oh man. And the thing is, people don't watch videos, right? Like you're a new company. Right. So like, say you're a new company, you've just convinced them to take a chance on you. Right. And now you're gonna bounce them to someone else or like a video, like no way. Right. They want you, the co-founder, that they've just taken a risk in mm -hmm. to do the onboarding. Right. So then you start doing the onboarding. I was selling to like real estate agents, which has like a chaotic, unpredictable schedule. Right. Like you can't run a webinar on Tuesday at 11 because no one's going to show up. Right. They've got showings. They're yeah, trying they, to make like, money. Anything comes up, you are like you are second. And the thing is, like no one watches a recording like I, we've all been there, like people register for a webinar and then they don't show up. They'll say, like, I, I want to watch the recording. So they like the idea of watching the. They recording. like the idea. They like Everyone to have it. Yeah. They like to have it. It's Everyone like they're hoarding. The option. Yeah. We're all hoarding replays. <laughs> We're all hoarding. <laughs> like, How many do we all have saved yeah. on our computer? For At some, least right? nine hundred and sixty-two. I don't know. Like we're yeah. like replay hoarders. Yeah. Right? Definitely. So the problem I was experiencing was I could not keep up with the number of like onboarding and training webinars that I needed to do for my customers in order for them like to adopt the product to keep paying me the, the subscription. <laughs> right. And I tried using a video, but it's not engaging. But the thing is, I, I also knew that no matter how many webinars I, I could do, like possibly do, there wasn't enough to onboard new people every day. Right. Because you've got like a thousand person company or even smaller, it doesn't matter. But they're hiring. But new users are coming in every day. Mm -hmm. But they're like, well, I couldn't make your training yesterday. Can you do it again today? Right. Like I remember doing like we launched, you know, Douglas Element to and back then they had like 7000 agents, 100 people signed up for the first kickoff. Right. I think like 15 people showed up. Right. And then at the end, like maybe two people say till the end. And but that was normal. Like think about the way we consume content. Like we want to consume content on Netflix now. Right. Like I think Netflix have like completely changed our expectation of how to consume media like video. Right. Yeah. Like, so why is it that in our fun life, we want to hit play right away. Right. But in our work life, we're dictated by our vendor. Yes. So the problem that I was actually living in my previous company was not only could I not keep up with those webinars and then I couldn't get the adoption. I was in a completely different time zone. 
Right. So That's I where... remember being like we sold to just six time zones in North America back then. Okay. But I was in like Kyoto, like having okay. a great time. Yeah. Right. Like on one side, I felt like I spent eight years earning this life. Like I've earned my right to work remote mm -hmm. and like have fun while I build my startup. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always going to show up for my customers. But on the other side, like I was completely dictated by my customer's demo schedule. <laughs> so how does that work, right? Like I've, I feel like I've earned this freedom, but I'm actually tied, like always to my computer. It wasn't right. even it's like you three steps forward, two steps yeah, back. Yeah, like you can't thing. do it on your phone. Like this is a screen share thing, right? Like right. sometimes a, sometimes it's a sales demo, which is one on one with a customer I want to close. Right. So I've always back then envisioned this like magical product that would allow me to do all these repetitive webinars. And that's the other thing was like, like all these demos were exactly the same. And you're still having to come across excited oh, and like yeah. really totally engaged. Scripted. And like, so this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally scripted. Like anyone that's like in CS have, that have run those yeah. or like sales guys will run these demos. Oh, for like, sure. like you're, you're cracking the same jokes. Like, yeah. you're, like you're doing the exact same thing. So like not only is it silly to get a full-time person to do that, right? it's even more silly to have like a co-founder's time. Yeah. I should be selling. Yeah. But the thing is like, I'm the best person to do that presentation and I can't lose this customer. Like we're a small company. And so it always like envisioned this magical product that would like take a video and deliver it like a webinar. Mm -hmm. So I could run all my webinars without ever being there. It's like whether it's sales, whether it's onboarding, whether it's training, of course, like nothing replaces that one-on-one -on -one, like meeting conversation. For sure. But I should be there for that one because that's unique. I wanted a product that would automate the thing that's repetitive mm -hmm. so I could use my time to do things that require my unique attention, like connecting with customers one on one because I'm now not exhausted. I remember sometimes I was doing it five to six times back to back. Yeah, that's that's for different companies. Yeah. So that was really the origin story. I had I had dreamt up this product for like five years straight. Like, what if it had all these features? What if this, right? But the thing is, like, it's not a video. It's not the same thing, right? People go to a webinar. They expect to be able to register for time, mm -hmm. uh, have a slot on their calendar that's blocked off. It's an event. Right. And they expect to be able to go to that webinar and engage with the host, like, ask questions. Right. But no one says that those questions have to be answered instantly. Right. The communication can actually be asynchronous. Just like Intercom, just like Zendesk. Right. We are already used to that. You go to any website, there's a little chat bubble that pops up. Right. If nobody responds to you immediately, you get the response on email. So I was like, what if I could have that video delivered as a webinar, but have an asynchronous chat? Mm -hmm. So then I could hop in if I want to, or I could respond later and people just get the response on email. So that actually became eWebinar. So I sold my previous company in 2019 in January. Mm -hmm. And I was very careful about what I want to do next because I knew whatever I did would be in at least another five years of my life. Right. I think we think about like, you know, accelerated paths, right? I think you can make better decisions, but I think you can only, like, especially with technology, like you can only build as fast as like it is humanly possible, right? right. Like you still have to like, no matter what, yeah, you still have be... to wireframe, conceptualize it, brand yeah. it like 
really spec it out and then like take it apart, figure out what your first set of features are. Like that takes a lot of time. Yeah. And then as you're building it, you realize, oh wait, like that set of features is kind of unrealistic for this. So it still takes a lot of time. And I also realized that I was like fairly unhappy in my previous journey. Um, and I have a theory on that, but I was very careful about what I was gonna select next. What was your theory? My theory is a lot of people think that they have to build a career on top of their education. And I think for a lot of people that probably makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, like I can only speak by, from my experience, but I think that's like normally how people think. So imagine like a, like a triangle where your bottom of edu is education. Mm -hmm. The middle part is your career. Now you've built your career on top of education. And then top is your life, whatever that makes you happy, right? right? Now you've got your career and my career took me to Nashville. I'm gonna live in Nashville, right? And maybe that's not really what makes you happy, but your career took you there. So then you became okay with it. You're, so then your happiness is actually built on top of your career. And that I think is what makes most people dissatisfied. It's certainly what made me unhappy because what I realized in the eight years of like building companies and talking to people and just being with myself, mm -hmm. like asking why, like why I can't be excited about what I'm doing. Why can't I feel successful mm -hmm. after I even sold this company is I realized I should have turned the pyramid around. I should have asked myself, what is it that makes me happy? So now you've got a triangle, right? The base is happiness, right? What is it that makes you happy? Is it living in Thailand? Mm -hmm. Is it having a remote team? Is it building another tech company? I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you start with your happiness and build a career on top of that, like find a career that fits your life. So imagine yeah. your life is on the bottom. Now careers in the middle yep. because your education on top can be learned mm -hmm. anywhere. Right. And that's how, that's my theory. I love that. And it's funny because it's, it's very widely applicable because obviously we all go through the education system growing up and your education leads to, the, well, that, so that's your foundation. And then theoretically you're being educated so you can get a job, so then you get a job and then you're building your life at the same time or after. That's why a lot of people are like, I'm going to build my career and then I'm going to settle down or have kids or whatever. Right. So it's it's sort of built in. And so but I fully agree with you, like that is a path unless you luck out and you just happen to go to the right school that feeds into the right university or college program that happens to lead into the right thing and that you just were meant to do, then great. But that's probably five percent, if that, of the population. And I think that so many people are in a situation like you outlined, right? They follow this path that's sort of been laid for them. When really, if they were to sort of flip that around and think about the things that they want to do in their life and what makes them happy, then they can turn that hopefully into a career. And then hopefully they can learn the things that they need to do in order to do that career successfully. Yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people don't think they have a choice, but you do have a choice. And I think sitting down and asking yourself what makes you happy also takes a lot of courage because a lot of times that requires a lot of change. Mm -hmm. But think about how amazing it is if your career and your education is built on top of your happiness, right? People always say to me, oh, I wish I can be more like you. I wish I can stay an extra week in Mexico. I yeah. wish I can have a second Flee home in Hawaii. It's like, wherever, yeah. but why don't you just do that? Just do that first. Mm -hmm. 
Because if you, if your starting point every day is already elevated, mm -hmm. then everything you do will be elevated. You can always find something that fits that. So I thought about back then, like, what is it that makes me truly happy? And then I found a career that fits on top of that. I didn't like so sell my previous company and think to myself, I must start this webinar thing. Like right. I had 10 other ideas. I was very careful about what I would choose because it's just so hard, right? Like, You're committing to the next, at least like you said, five years of your life. Yeah, and, and building a product, like finding a market for it, like starting from zero again, like it's just so hard. Yeah. And like, I think there's a, there's a point in, in, in your life when like, experience hinders you and I'm definitely there. Like I had like really tough times in New York um, when I first moved here and like try to get my previous company off the ground and having that experience like really scares me. But I, I came up with three non-negotiables mm -hmm. that would make me happy. So number one was I wanted to build something that could be sold over the internet, self-serve, right. like a MailChimp. Yep. I spent a lot of time in my previous company going to conferences, setting up booths, like hand-holding customers, like running to a demo, like, you know, at 4 a.m. in the morning. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, <laughs> I want that to be optional. Right. So I wanted people to be able to come to the website, sign up on their own. Mm -hmm. So that was super important. And obviously that has to be a sustainable business. Um, number two, I wanted a, a fully remote team with mm -hmm. no employees. So I love building companies and I love revenue and creating things, but I am not good at managing people. Okay. And I know that. Good to know. And I create a company that is completely outsourced. Everybody, everybody's a contractor. But the third part is, is actually to build a company with friends. Interesting. So the, this company that we have right now, eWebinar is fully funded by friends. Like, and not just like people I've like, met Lucy Goosey. Like these are people like <laughs> some we, shady character yeah, on the street. Like, yeah. These are people like that like I would have over for Thanksgiving. Like I would want Isn't to travel scary? with them. Like are you not I mean unless you've got like a lot of very wealthy friends. Like I everyone talks about doing friends and family rounds. And yeah. that to me is just like I don't know that I, I mean I would have to I'm blindly confident in a lot of ways. But asking friends and family for for money and for investment would just I don't know that I'd be able to do that. I feel like I would be more ter I'd rather take it from a stranger. Yeah. I can disappoint a VC and they can be fine and they can go sleep on their bed of Patagonia vests and they'll be happy. Yeah. I, but like if I took money from, you know, my yeah. lovely neighbor who I've known since I was a kid, like I'm not going to. It definitely. That would destroy me. <laughs> so I think it there's there's a few things um, that come with that. Number one, you have to be so confident in what you're doing. Like definitely. you have to like be delusionally confident, but that's required anyway. <laughs> would you consider yourself delusionally confident? I, yes. <laughs> that's great, I love it. I would have to be, like, <laughs> even though like I have some doubts here and there, like you kind of like talk yourself out of it, like I'm yeah. constantly bouncing from like one end to the other, like multiple times a day. That sounds right, yeah. Um, but I think most founders are like that. You're like, oh, there's always a what if, like you can't be, like, I mean, you can't be psychotic, you can't be insane, right? But like, you have well, to have I some mean, doubts. A lot of them are, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to be like cautiously optimistic, but I, it's just something I've thought about so much it's also a problem that i know exists mm -hmm. it's just something i knew right and also a lot of these people that we like took money from they've heard me complain about this true they're like if this will <laughs> yeah. get you to shut up i'll write you a check for a few thousand dollars yeah. and it actually turns out like it is true that when you've sold one company people are more willing to give you money right. um but 
to your point, I do not take money from anyone that I don't think can afford it. If I knew that money came hard for that person, like I would not take it. Right. But the idea that I could build a company with friends. Yes. Like to have. And, and enrich your friends and family. Yeah. People and that, to yeah. have, you know, a company retreat and our investors can be there. True. Yeah. You know, that would be amazing. Also, I would never ask somebody to do something I would not do. Right. So my co-founder and I, my co-founder is also my life partner. Uh, right. We both put in a fairly significant amount. Right. On the same terms. And the company is actually structured in a, in a pretty interesting way. It's structured in a way where like I could probably never raise VC capital unless I restructure the company, mm -hmm. which would be required. Um, but it's structured in a way that pays out dividends that is proportionate to your investment. Nice. Not your equity holding. Oh, okay. I so gotcha. you could I like have, that. yeah. So you could have like a 1% equity holding, but have like 7% dividends because that's what I think is fair. Yeah. And I wouldn't ask my friends to put in money and not see it for the next five to 10 years. Um, so those are my three non-negotiables. And I kept playing with these different ideas and I kept coming back to this webinar thing. And I'm like, I can't believe this doesn't exist. Like I, there's so many companies that are solving like yeah. live broadcasts, but that problem's been solved. The problem that hasn't been solved is the repetitive webinars that people are yeah. still doing. Because it's sort of, if I understand it right, like it's it's sort of a mix of a few things, right? Like this is something that you register for. It sends you a calendar event. There's a landing page. It looks, feels, everything is like a real webinar. You show up and even the start of it is probably like the exact same as a webinar. The only thing that's different is that it's asynchronous when you submit questions. Yeah. But other than that, it feels to that exact flow. Like you could definitely record a webinar and go to webinar or in... Yeah one of the other ones and then have the recording and then just send the recording out. But then people don't, like you well, said, the, you're going to get a 1%. Is, yeah, the experience is low because the video quality is low, right? Well, yeah. So imagine recording a video that you know is going to be evergreen. You spend more time on it. Mm -hmm. But not only the communication is asynchronous, right? The viewing experience, the scheduling is asynchronous. Like you guys have customers all over the world. Right, like your 11 a.m. Tuesday, which is like a golden hour, like everyone has their webinars at that hour on that day, like mm -hmm. is not the same for someone in London. Yeah. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna replay hoard, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. Um, like I guess why why wouldn't you give them the same experience by making your webinar experience asynchronous as well? Like why shouldn't webinars be like Netflix, where I get to either press play now or choose when I get to watch it. Like our webinar atten like attendance rate mm -hmm. is 65% on average. It's really good. Yeah, the typical webinar attendance rate in, in the industry is like sub 40%, yeah, if you're like lucky. Maybe, yeah, it was like we yeah. ran one earlier today and I think we had 48% of people show up. Yeah, which, and like, that's like high. Which is like, we were like, yeah. okay, yeah, anything around 50 for a free webinar. Generally, we're, we're pretty happy with that. Yeah, and also like um, maybe people don't stay for the whole thing, right? So yeah. not only did we provide an experience where, you know, we could deliver like a high quality experience no matter when you join, mm -hmm. we preserve the one-on-one -on -one communication that actually makes webinars valuable. That's what makes people go, like the ability to engage with the host and the moderator. Right. And if anyone that's run a webinar before, it's virtually impossible to answer every single question. Right. Like before people Definitely. pop off. Yeah. You'd have to be so intentional about like looking that person up and yes. then like looking for their email. But because our communication is asynchronous, everybody gets a response. Right. But the way we also created the experience is anyone that's been to a Zoom, like it's kind of boring. But when we go to like 
you know, Disney Plus or Netflix or Apple TV, like that experience is beautiful mm -hmm. and compelling, right? So why shouldn't watching a webinar be the same? So when we designed the experience, we didn't take inspiration from Zoom and go to webinar. Those are like pretty outdated, right? Yeah. Like we want it to be like fun business software, kind of like a MailChimp. So the way we design the viewing experience is fully branded to the company's colors, logos. It's got pop-ups that you can program, like questions, polls, tips, offers, that pops up all over the screen. That makes it feel more like interactive TV mm -hmm. that you can participate in. But from a marketing perspective, and also like a CS perspective, the more you run these webinars, the more answers you're collecting and okay. the better data you're actually getting. That's the best inspiration to start a company. If it's a problem that you keep having, that you keep wishing someone would solve. Yeah, I mean, I just couldn't believe that it hasn't been solved in an elegant way. And I love the idea of just even I mean, going back to what you're saying before, like just having and knowing your non-negotiables is something I think that a lot of people don't know and don't have. Like I feel like I, I, every job I've taken, it's the same, I think I was talking about it recently, but like, it's the same when you go to an apartment, when, when you get your next apartment, like you get into an apartment and you realize like, Okay, there was this stuff we liked, but like, damn, we didn't check the cell reception. We didn't check the internet. We didn't check the, the, the toilet flush, like whatever. You find issues over the course of your time living there. So then your next apartment, you then all, now you know the, the other things to check for, and then you find new issues. And then sort of it keeps going and you learn more as you go along. And I feel like that's been my experience in tech has been like every company I've worked with or worked at or consulted for, you know, I learned something else about what I'm looking for and what I'm not looking for. And that helps paint this picture of, what my non-negotiables are and and what the kind of direction I need to be going in. But it's hard to figure out. It takes time and reflection and a lot of things that people don't have the time to do or don't make the time to do or don't know how to do. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like, especially in work, like people think, um, number one, they don't have a choice, right? Yeah. But number two, like, as it relates to like the problems that I was trying to solve, like they don't think they can run a business without being there. Like that's the starting right. point. They think I start a business, like I've started a business, so I must be there all the time. Like it's like hustle porn, right? Like the more I do, the harder I work. That's a great newsletter name. Is that a yeah. thing yet? Because I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get hustleporn.com right now. Yeah, like it's, it's just like they think they equate that like to success, mm -hmm. but it's not hard work that you should be doing, right? It's creative work that you should be doing more of. Yeah, and Nothing allowing yourself to step away from your business and to like scale yourself and clone yourself, like is something you have to give yourself permission to do. Mm. I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I'm away, then the customer would leave. It's like, no, you also set those boundaries. Yeah. Like the non-negotiables goes not only in your personal life, but also in your work life with your customers. Right. Like previously, I don't do mornings. I've gotten right. that. I've got that. Yeah. So I don't take <laughs> meetings. I don't take calls before noon, like unless I absolutely have to. And yeah. I, I will like if I have to. But most of my customers know I don't take calls before noon. And look, they're OK with it. They haven't, yeah. they haven't run away. Exactly. And actually, when I started traveling, I was afraid to tell my customers that I was traveling because okay. I thought they would think I was lazy. Right. But then it became like such an interesting topic. Yeah. For and sure. then they would work around that. Like, as long as it's like consistent and expectations are set right, people tend not to have a problem. 
and actually, I I felt like I became more human to them. Yes. Because I was also not like super accessible all the time, like at their beck and call, and I just became like a topic within like back then the real estate community. Oh, where's Melissa now? Right. Every call yeah. you're on, they're like, Oh, where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. And I think like whatever your non-negotiables are and whatever makes you happy, like in order to live like a sustainably happy life, you have to let other people know those things. Don't share keep them. those. Yeah, don't keep those to yourself. Like share them with your coworkers, with with your co-founder, with your boss, whatever it might be. Share them with your customers. Like yeah. have a discussion about it. Um, hopefully, customers always come first. But have a discussion about it, and yeah. I guarantee you, like your life will just be happier. Yeah, I think that's that's the other good point. Figure out what they are and then communicate them loudly. It makes me think. I don't know if you saw it, but I did this. Uh, I reenacted the scene from Risky Business the week before Thanksgiving <laughs> I did not see that. in the office because I was the only person in the whole office, and I shared it on LinkedIn and it did really, did you know really well from a post perspective, and it was just meant to be like a funny thing. But you know, I'm not wearing my pants in the office like I'm reenacting Risky Business, and you know, a friend of mine was like, "That's that was like a choice, like that was you know you're putting that out on a professional network." But I was just like, "Well, yeah, but all it's gonna do is like any companies that." look down on that, I don't want to work at anyways. And the companies <laughs> that love it are going to be the ones I want to work with. So it, all it does is sort of segment that out for me. And so it's sort of tying into that non-negotiables thing. It's like, I know I need to work in a place that will find that sort of thing funny and entertaining and be like, yes, we're trying to do things in like a funny, different new way. Great. And then I don't want to work at any places that would be like, oh, well, that's not professional. Like, I don't want anything to do with them. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like. Not that I'm encouraging everyone to take their pants <laughs> off at the office, but. But only if that makes you happy. <laughs> only if it makes you happy. And you work at a place where that is accepted and okay. Yeah. And, and I, if I not, come work at Catalyst. On, on that same note, though, like I have a very strict um, requirement on like how our customers communicate to our team. Like the customer is not always right. <laughs> no. Like they're your customer, but you're not their slave. Right. Right. Like you're also providing a service as a partner. Like you are providing them value. And I have like a few times in my career, like have just told somebody like if you're like if you're going to speak like that to our team, like we're just going to refund your money and you can actually look elsewhere and setting those boundaries. Yeah. Like that's another non-negotiable. Right. Like you have to stand up for your team. Let them know that like you're not going to allow them to be disrespected yeah. in that way. And that's, that's also how I think your customers will respect you back. Like nobody I've ever said that to has actually left. I was going to say, like, they probably are like, oh, like I didn't realize, like if things had gotten to, like, no one wants to be that person. It's just digital does something weird to people, yes. right? Like it's like, oh, because it's a support inbox or like a call or whatever, I can I can talk to you in a certain way. But it's, it's really strange mm -hmm. how we've got like digital personalities. Like you would never say that like to someone next to you. Like imagine like right. reading some of those support messages in that tone to the person next to you. Like oh, they yeah. think you're like completely Or the psychotic. responses to like SDR, like cold emails or that sort of yeah. thing, which are already hard enough to send. When people oh, yeah, send totally. rude responses, it's like, you know there's like a person who's like, yeah. you know, figuring out that, you know, yeah. doing their best, like. Yeah, I think we're, we're as a as a species, I think we've hit like, our, the, the rock bottom. The, yeah, rock bottom <laughs> of like our patience. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, but you know, hopefully we pen, the pendulum will balance out, and I mean we can figure out some of the we'll have to with the remote communication get better at it. Well, I definitely just... have a lot of respect for for SDRs and BDRs and people that do sales, and yeah. because I, I do that as well. And someone was just telling me yesterday like they had this automated in like LinkedIn kind of like 
cadence thing mm-hmm. and like he was like oh yeah sometimes people respond and would be like oh i know this is like automated and then like gets mad about it yeah but it's like well you know it is kind of the way of the world now yeah i mean i mean and then it's a challenge for marketers too because then it's like i think it's fine like we use whatever tools you have to reach out to people yeah. but it's on you to be create to like not get that response be as creative and as targeted like i've seen some amazing outreach that I'll just respond to because it's creative or they did their research. And I'm like, okay, that earns my my yeah. response. But yeah, if you're getting spam on LinkedIn and it's someone being like, you're very pretty. I would like to take you to dinner and show you a product. <laughs> well, demo. LinkedIn has turned into, I mean, I think LinkedIn is like the gift that keeps on giving, especially if you're like in, in technology. Mm-hmm. But it has become a little more spammy. Like I think in the yeah. past year, like people have spent a lot of time on that. Um, but actually I've been in sales um, for probably the past like 13 years, mm-hmm. I have never had such a hard time getting a response from people than oh, really? in the past year and a half. Like I haven't figured this out yet, but I think the way that people want to be communicated to has fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that is because I can't get them to respond. <laughs> um, I was Invite like them on a podcast. It's a great way to get them. On. Yeah, I mean, when I worked at SAP, I was like the queen of cold calling. Like I was amazing at it. Yeah, like, I was amazing at getting responses. But nowadays, like my own customers don't respond to me. Yeah, so people it's really... are just tired. People are really anything that they can not respond to, they won't because yeah. they're just like stressed, tired, and now they're talking about Omicron, and it's just like yeah. the end of the world every two weeks. It seems like, <laughs> yeah, and so people definitely. are just like. If nothing's going to burn down, and this is feedback I've given to people on my team is like, because I've seen how stressed they get, I'm like, if something's not going to burn down, like we're not going to lose a customer, it's not like a big thing, like, just don't do it. Like, push it off, delay it. Like, what could you feasibly cut from your day? And so often that does include responding to non-urgent emails. So I'm probably guilty of being that person, but. Well, um, I definitely have to learn some of the creative ways that people have communicated to you <laughs> because you've been responding but actually yeah. I, maybe i can't like i just can't like be empathetic about that because i because of what i do i respond to everybody right like i'm like collecting karma points yes i mean that works too you gotta <laughs> yeah, like my my cold email karma i'm like trying to collect <laughs> it by like responding to everyone that is also a good strategy buying karma does work um no i think that was fantastic Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.